Today, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, interesting, the topic for the service today is uh, a, stone's, uh, a stone's throw. And uh, interesting thing about stones, you can uh, find them a lot of places. Uh, you can also find those flat ones that uh, you can skip right along the water and uh, have an amazing uh, length of skipping that stone. I remember we tried to do that when I was a staff person at Tillicum, the lake that was there, and being able to uh, skip stones along there. And it was pretty neat as far as how far you can get that going. You get the right flat round stone to be able to do that. And then there are also two of those big stones that you just chuck as far as you could and uh, make a big splash in the water as well. But uh, I've looked up some information about this, and I found out that the normal length of a stone's throw <clears throat> is about 50 to 60 feet. And if you think about that, uh, that that's a pretty good throw. Uh, a lot of people can get, get it to that distance. But the furthest uh, stone's throw uh, that I could find was in the form of a baseball. And a baseball is pretty close to a stone, but uh, the baseball record as far as the furthest thrown is done by a guy named Glenn Gorbus, and he threw a baseball 445 feet, a little over 445 feet, and that's about one and a half football fields. He did this back in 1957 on August 1st. Um, I don't know if anybody else has tried to do this, tried to throw it any further, but uh, one and a half football fields is a long distance to throw. Uh, I remember as far as uh, stones are concerned, uh, when I was driving over to Winco one late evening to make a quick late night run for some groceries. And I drove on um, back roads on uh, behind New Hope Church there. <clears throat> and as I was going along, all of a sudden this, this object hit my windshield. And I couldn't believe what was going on. Um, when I got my thoughts together and what was going on, it, what happened is that uh, basically someone threw a rock at my car and it bounced off my windshield. It woke me up real fast. A lot of adrenaline going on there, but I uh, uh, didn't, didn't find a, who, was a, who was at fault in doing that. But as far as rocks are concerned, they can also be used and stones can be used to build up walls. There's uh, in New, New England a, a number of stone walls there, including one known as a spite wall. And measures about eight feet across, and it's so wide that it would allow four men to walk on top side by side. Now that is a very wide wall. And two farmers built it, and they did so because they wanted uh, nothing to do with each other. They wanted something in between them. They couldn't stand each other, and so they built this wall. So that's a lot of spite, but it's not the first time stones have been used in spite. In a moment, we're going to hear of a spiteful story of the Pharisees and Jesus, and I would say a not-so-innocent bystander. But, uh, you know, too many times there have been situations where people rush into judgment rather than approaching the people and situation with grace and truth. How many relationships or friendships could be kept from harm if we would just practice what Jesus did? Follow his lead. <clears throat> so when the rush of a judgment comes calling, I believe we need to answer it with grace and truth. And there's a special balance involved with a response of grace and truth that we'll, we'll see here in this portion of scripture that we'll be looking at. 
No, we're continuing in messages here about the power of the cross, which will lead us right into Easter Sunday. And today we look at uh, John chapter 8, the first 11 verses. And Jesus is cornered by the Pharisees and teachers of the law with basically a no-win situation because of their spite for Jesus. And even though this story is absent from from all of the oldest manuscripts of John's Gospels, and even you, as you turn that right now, you might even find it uh, stated there that this is not found in some of the oldest manuscripts. But there's nothing in it contrary to sound doctrine. And it seems best to view the story as something that did actually happen during Jesus' ministry, but was not originally part of what John wrote in, in his Gospel. So, I understand this is a portion of Scripture that you'd be going away to say, what's going on? It's still something that happened, but basically was not placed in, in John's gospel in the, in the oldest manuscripts. So look with me in John chapter 8. We're going to read that. I'm going to read these first uh, 11 verses here. <clears throat> and uh, we'll look through these and comment on the way through after we're done, after I'm done reading. Uh, and you can see already at the very beginning, the end of chapter 7, with verse 53, it says, Then each went to his own home. And then in uh, chapter 8, verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And so we'll start with there in that verse, ch chapter 8, verse 1, Gospel of John. <clears throat> but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Very interesting portion of Scripture. You know, one day we... You know, Jesus was teaching in the temple when suddenly a great commotion arose. Some Pharisees dragged a woman into the temple courts, and they thought uh, they, had caught, they had caught her in the act of adultery, probably half naked, certainly humiliated, and she lay there at Jesus' feet. The Pharisees accused her in no uncertain terms and without regard for, for her dignity. They said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And the woman was nothing more than a pawn in their scheme uh, to accuse, accuse Jesus. To be sure, uh, her adultery was sinful. That was no doubt. The Pharisees, though, were using her, her simply as a means of, of getting to Jesus. She was just a, 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 an item, an object to try to get to Jesus. He was the real object of their anger. He was the real object of, of, of their outrage. If they had been seeking justice, they would have brought along the woman's companion in sin as well. Where's the guy? Where was he in all of this? 
And since they had caught her in the act, they had certainly also caught her partner, but they brought her in and, uh, and drug her through all this. Can you imagine what she's going through and humiliation and everything else? It's incredible what was going on here. Those of you who have seen Camelot, the movie Camelot, might be reminded of a, a scene where Queen Guinevere is caught in adultery and sentenced to death. And waiting for the order of execution to arrive and the execution itself to begin, King Arthur's nephew, Mordred, gleefully taunts him. And he says, Arthur, what a magnificent dilemma. Let her die, your life is over. Let her live, your life's a fraud. Which will it be, Arthur? Do you kill the queen or kill the law? And that is a dilemma we find here in this portion of scripture. The Pharisees asked Jesus, what will it be, Jesus? Do you kill the woman or do you kill the law? And please understand, this, this is not simply a, a story. It's not simply theoretical. It's, a, it's, it's our story. It's your story. It's my story. It's God's dilemma as it applies to you and me. Does God suspend his law, ignoring his character of justice and holiness? Or does he allow us, the children he loves, to die eternally, to hell, to live in exile forever, away from his presence? <clears throat> and seemingly, Jesus' enemies have him caught between a rock and a hard place. And if Jesus said the woman should not be stoned, they would accuse him of violating Moses' law. And if he urged them to execute her, they would report him to the Romans, who did not permit the Jews to carry out their own executions. Difficult situation. But consider what he does next. In verse, eight, uh, verse 6, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, people have speculated for centuries uh, what he, about what he wrote. Was he listing their sins as he wrote on the ground? Was, was he writing out the Ten Commandments? Uh, it's pretty intriguing mystery to figure out what he wrote, possibly. But still, it may be less important to know what he wrote, and more important, that he used his finger to do it, and that he wrote twice. Maybe that could have been the focus of the moment. Let me explain. <clears throat> there was another time that God used his finger uh, twice to write. Remember uh, Moses brought two tablets of stone up to the top of Mount Sinai and God wrote the Ten Commandments on them. Then after Moses angrily smashed those first tablets because the people broke God's law uh, by worshiping the, that golden calf, God used his finger to write the same text a second time and on a second set of tablets. Maybe in using his finger twice, Jesus was delivering an object lesson uh, to these Pharisees, reminding them of the true judge, the true lawgiver. In any case, adding to his point, Jesus said this in verse 7. He said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Amazing response. This is a significant statement about judging others. Because Jesus upheld the legal penalty for adultery, stoning, he couldn't be accused of being against the law. But by saying that only a sinless person could throw the first stone, he highlighted the importance of compassion and forgiveness. When others are caught in sin, are you quick to pass judgment? 
you look at them and you go, well, yeah, they should be doing that. If you do, you're acting as though you have never sinned. And it is God's role to judge. It's not ours. Our role is to show forgiveness. Our role is to show compassion. When the rush of judgment comes calling, we need to answer it with grace and truth. Jesus was not ignoring the woman standing before him. He was attending first to her accusers. They wanted to talk about the woman. Jesus wanted to talk about them. They focused on the law as it related to her behavior. And Jesus focused on God's law as it related to their hearts. She was not denying her sin, and they refused to admit they had any. Jesus stooped down to write a second time. One by one, the Pharisees left. And when Jesus said that, that only someone who had not sinned should throw the first stone, those leaders slipped away quietly from oldest to youngest. Evidently, the older men were more aware of their sins than the younger ones. Age and experience often, oft, often temper youthful self-righteousness. It takes the wisdom and experience to realize who you are and who God is. But whatever your age, you need to take an honest look at your life and recognize your sinful nature and look for ways to help others rather than hurt them. And Jesus looked up to ask in verse uh, 10, 11, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't condemn the woman accused of adultery, but neither did he ignore or condone her sin. He told her to leave her life of sin. And Jesus stands ready to forgive any sin in your life. But confession and repentance mean a change of heart, change a way of what you're doing. With God's help, we can accept Christ's forgiveness and stop our wrongdoing. And throughout this story, we hear echoes of, of other words from John's gospel. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 particularly. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that who, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The power of the cross looms over the entire life of Jesus, revealing the glory of God's grace to his people like this woman and to people like you and me. Don't think that this account treats sin lightly. It doesn't. Our Lord's forgiveness doesn't make the law of God harmless. The cross does not set it aside. In a sense, the Pharisees were right. Sin demands judgment, and that's truth. That's truth. Human sin creates a debt that only death can pay. The good news is that Jesus paid that debt. He paid it for the woman, and he paid it for you, and he paid it for me. The only thing standing between the woman and the stones of her execution was Jesus himself. And the only thing standing between you 
and eternal death is Jesus himself. The sacrifice he offered on the cross has destroyed the power of sin and death. And to that I say amen. <laughs> the story is told of two men looking at a painting of a chess game. I don't know if you play chess at all. But the one man, a chess champion, commented, something about this bothers me, he said. After a while, the chess master said to his friend, we must locate the man who painted this piece. We must tell him he must either change the picture or change the title. This painting is called Checkmate. But the title is all wrong. The king still has one more move. Now the Pharisees treated the woman as merely a pawn in their battle with Jesus. But the king had one more move. It involved a stone. It involved a stone, another much bigger stone than this. It involved a stone bigger than the stones that threatened her. It was the stone the angel would roll away from the door of Jesus' tomb. When you find yourself between a rock and a hard place, take joy knowing that your king always has one more move. Always one more move. You know, come down to this, and really, after you've re read this and you've heard this message, all of us will find ourselves somewhere in this story. Maybe we are the ones ready to throw stones of anger. Maybe we are the ones to throw stones of, of hatred or jealousy because of an unforgiving spirit. If so, it's time to drop those stones. It's time to let go of that. It's time to set it aside. Let Jesus take over. Give to him. Maybe you see yourself in the woman in the story feeling the shame, feeling the weight of your sin? If so, it's, it's time to look to Jesus for comfort and for help, forgiveness. He won't turn you away. He has come to save you, not to condemn you. Remember that. This woman found forgiveness at Jesus' feet. You will too. The power of his cross overwhelms the power of your sins to try to condemn or shame you in, his, in, in, in Jesus' presence. Don't let it happen. Bring those things to Jesus. Lay them at his feet. Allow him to take over. And really, you're closer than a stone's throw away with that forgiveness. You're just a prayer away. Just a prayer away. And all it takes is a moment to ask for forgiveness from him. I don't know where you find yourself in this story, but I would imagine that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is asking you, will you respond? And that's the whole thing about this. When we hear a story uh, uh, from the Gospels, from God's Word, are you ready to respond? And I guess I'm here to say that's up between you in God. I'm just the messenger, and it's an opportunity to set us, provide a setting here for you to be able to respond to what God has brought to you. Wherever you find yourself, 
And I trust that you will place your hands in Jesus' care. He's the one that can help you through the difficulties. He's the one that can help you deal with the anger and the hatred that you might have in your heart. And you grip those stones so tightly. He's the one also, too, that can bring the comfort and help as you, as you feel the shame and the weight of your sin. Jesus is the one that can relieve you of that as you ask for, for forgiveness. Repent. And turn from those ways. A change in your life. And to walk differently. Following Jesus. And that's the key thing throughout all of this. Whatever he does, we will do. Whatever he says, uh, we will do. Wherever he goes, we will follow. And that needs to be the one uh, a follower of Christ. Be able to do what he does. and Be living in obedience. I'd like to pray with you guys. I would like to pray that God will just continue to envelop your heart with his love. And remind you that you are a child of God, loved by, by, by him. And that you have Jesus along with you. If you're going through difficulties, if you have a need for prayer, if you need to just uh, bow your head and, and pray because of an unforgiving spirit, to pray because of the weight of your, your sin, shame of your sin, Jesus is there. Just a prayer away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that as we come right now, that you would just continue to wrap your arms around those who are here listening today. And Lord, if there are those here today that, uh, um, that are going through an unforgiving spirit, Lord, maybe they have hatred, they have spite for someone, they have, they have jealousy, whatever it is, those feelings, Lord, Pray that they realize they need to set those aside and allow you to come in. Lord, I pray that you would continue to uh, just remind each one of us that you are a God that can be trusted in all of these things. Lord, also too, for that person who might be feeling the weight and the shame of their sin, unconfessed sin. I pray, Lord, that they realize that you are closer than a stone's throw. You are a prayer away. All they need to do is just pray, Lord, forgive me for what I've done. Clean up my heart, clean up my life, and help me walk in your ways. Lord, I pray that as they pray that prayer, that they would feel assurance in their life. That you've come in, you've forgiven, and you've cleaned up their life. Lord, thank you for this message. A message we need to hear about how there is forgiveness. We need to hear about how you are so close and you want to come in and clean up our life and lead us. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to walk in your ways, each one of us to follow you closely and to glorify, our, glorify you, you with our lives. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for blessing it is. To come together like this. I pray, Lord, that you be with each one of us and uh, help us, Lord, to be a blessing to those uh, who we see and our neighbors. And thank you, Jesus, for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.